Hi, I'm Marianne Welsh, and you're listening to the Unlock More podcast, a show for professional leaders with a yearning for more. I'm an executive career coach, and in each episode, I'll take an in-depth look at what holds people back and give practical tips for stepping up. If you're ready to scare the life out of yourself for the thrill of achieving your dreams, then stay tuned. What I love about this episode is my guest's surety that there was something better out there for her and the way she talks about the excitement she felt when she knew things had to change. Join me as Steph Brobby takes us on a journey. It's the story of how she exchanges her life as a personal wealth lawyer on track to becoming a partner in a London rule firm to disrupting the world of private wealth management, doing it her own way. And all in the name of sustainability, fairness and respect to the environment. It's win-win all the way. Say yes to you, she says. Say yes to showing up. It's a powerful message. Enjoy. Please welcome Stephanie Brobby, founder and CEO of the Good Ancestor Movement. So here's some of the accolades. In 2018 and 2020, she was recognised as one of the top 35 rising stars in the private client practitioner community. And more recently, she's been recognised as one of the 100 most influential people in the world of private wealth in Spears Powerlist. And she's been recently made a fellow of the Ashoka Fellowship joining many of the world's leading social entrepreneurs as they champion innovative ideas that transform society systems. It's so exciting to have Steph come and join us. And really, we had a chat about this recently and thought it would be a good time for her to come on. And she's just been explaining to me that her heart for this, and I'm 100% agreement, is that people would know that they don't have to be trapped in their work. So we're going to just take some time just to hear Steph's story. So welcome Steph, welcome on to Thank the podcast. You. Thank you Marianne. Thank you for having me. So at the beginning you were you were literally just talking to me about how you are trying to remember what it was like when you first came to coaching. You said that there was a moment. I think you were just starting to talk about that like take me back. Take us all back to what it was like for you. Yeah, gosh, it feels so long ago. And I feel like I've just grown exponentially mm. since starting the Good Ancestor Movement. And and it's so interesting how you can get to a place where you almost no longer connect with the person that I was, the things that I was doing, which were so kind of present in my day-to-day -day reality. You know, a huge part of my identity was being a lawyer in the city and private wealth lawyer and I worked really hard at what I did for a long time I used to skip into work I loved my team I loved my clients and then I took a different path so just thinking back to where I was at the time yeah. when I first reached out to you I remember vividly coming out of an internal meeting um at my offices like leaving the boardroom and going downstairs yeah. <laughs> um and walking up to New Street Square and kind of just hovering there on the phone to you and just saying, I I need to move on. I need a change. I can't. I, I just felt that my position had become untenable. Wow. And what, what were some of the 
like I don't know just some of the emotions that you were feeling the thoughts that you were having at that point well I did feel quite panicked and fearful at the beginning as it was when you meet with the truth that can be quite scary it's also very liberating but there, it was almost in that moment coming down from that meeting I just I realized I just I can't I can't do this long term I can't I can't can you just flesh it out a little bit I mean you don't need to go into loads of detail but what was it that had made the situation that you were in untenable I think I realized that I wasn't going to be able to have the impact that I wanted to have in the world in the place where I was situated professionally okay and I'd realized that I was kind of out of alignment with my personal values in terms of the work that I was doing Mm. as a private wealth lawyer and what I felt that I was contributing to in terms of almost pressing challenges as a global community, like extreme wealth concentration and inequality and realizing this direct link that I had professionally Mm. to to those problems, but also recognizing that I, I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to I would be like a square peg in a round hole in the partnership structure many professional services firms have a partnership structure in it I think it's it's challenging to really be an individual in those structures and I I think I realized that my agency would always be limited if I went down that route and so once these things became apparent to me I I felt excited that I'd realized okay yeah. I'm not picking this up you know yeah. I, I my position is not is is untenable here but then <laughs> what do I do with that where do I take it and I felt quite alone actually mm-hmm. with my thoughts and um, how long had you been feeling because that obviously you had this moment where it had become untenable for you so you knew okay I can't carry on like this how long had that been bubbling away for I think it'd been bubbling away for about 12 months you know just a kind of like low grade dissatisfaction and yeah yeah I think I remember us talking and and there was this real and this happens a lot I think for people in similar situations to you like where you're on this kind of corporate track aren't you like you're you've because you joined as a graduate didn't you yeah as a trainee solicitor in 2009 yeah yeah and so you'd been very successful and I do remember you talking about your team you loved your team it was all everything was moving in the right direction and they were starting to talk to you about partnership weren't they and there was a lot of success that you were having yeah I mean I was on this really amazing career trajectory really and I I had such precious relationships with my team and of course that was that was a big reason one of the big reasons to stay and it would have been comfortable you know I could have stayed there as it happens actually lots of the team have moved on and the firm I I used to work for has merged with another firm and so it's a different Mm. place but I still could have I could have found a way to exist in a in a state of split really you know I could have Mm. chosen to think well okay well I'll just do this work because of the benefits of it and I'll figure out different ways to be in alignment with my purpose and values but it would never it just would never have been what it is today which is just this incredible integration of my skills and my purpose and my values and beliefs all harnessed behind this incredible mission that's ahead of me yeah. that I'm yeah. in a juicy thick of right now oh, 
so I just wait to come on like let's come on to that in a minute Um, so so you knew that your situation had become untenable that it wasn't really the place that you wanted to be long term and then you just a minute ago you just said that there was this kind of like I I feel excited that I've got to that place but now it's like oh now what (laughs) yeah what do I do and where do I even start Mm. with figuring out what I could do next or what, what I should do what strategy should I take should I settle for something that could be a middle of the road kind of transition role and then figure out the rest or do I wait and then figure everything out do I keep stay open and pursue partnership and Mm. there's various reasons behind why I chose to do what I do which I can come on to which was ultimately quite personal in terms of my approach yeah I think I remember you had like fears as well around um you know there was the fear around your finances yeah that was an enormous yeah, just expl- I mean, if you're happy to, because I remember you talking about your background and yeah, I think that would be quite cool. Of course, yeah, I'm more than happy to. I mean, it was I'm like many people. Financial security is an enormous reason why people stay in particularly professional services roles because of the the safety. You you'll always have a job somewhere. You know, you're basically you're employable for life once you you Mm. train and you have these skills and yeah I didn't become a lawyer just for the financial security but it was a huge consideration for me because Mm. I'd come from a traditional migrant working class background where money was tight Mm. it was definitely very important to me to have economic security financial security and I don't know I sort of got to a stage where I can't remember exactly when it was, but I remember just thinking to myself, actually, you know, financial security, like it's a perception. Like even if, even if you're in a profession that's really good and, you know, ultimately if you work in the private sector, often it's a perception. It very much depends on what your relationship with, with money is like and your relationship with your financial future and and all of that but it was it was a you know obviously now (laughs) yeah I yeah I don't have that security but I don't think I honestly don't think about that on a day-to-day basis because I've got so interesting so one of so your so your big fear of like the financial security is not even an issue for you now are there other fears that you had then that have become a kind of like a nothing since yeah, I think certainty. I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> yeah. a creature of habit. And I I used to describe myself as a very risk averse person, which apparently I'm I'm no longer allowed to do because of <laughs> obviously the path that I've chosen, which is really exposed I have exposed myself to a lot of mm. risk. But again, I don't tend to think about that on a day-to-day basis either. But I was a risk averse person by virtue of yeah. my yeah. background and upbringing. I then trained and practiced for a long time in an incredibly risk-averse profession. So the idea of just just choosing something, choosing a different role that you know that could be very secure, um, even that felt risky. Yeah, and you're so you're so right. It's like sometimes we find ourselves in these cultures where you know even the culture starts to it kind of get in you, doesn't it? And if yeah. you're in a culture where I think it's so often that with anything like professional services I think a lot of the you know I worked in um you know accountancy it's all it is all quite risk averse and so you find that becoming part of your worldview 
And it sounds like it just isn't really that now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a big part of my sort of the internal narrative, I think, that I had the story that I was telling myself at the time when I was considering this transition or a transition into something else. And I think the big thing for me, I think that that helped to dismantle that internal narrative was reframing the idea of risk. And actually unpacking it and thinking, what is the worst thing that could actually happen? Mm. Maybe I try a different job. I don't like it. I end up out of work for a bit. What does that mean? That means that I have to ask for help. Yeah. And like, do wow. I have people in my life that could help me? Yes. And so, you know, I really started to interrogate what, what was sitting behind that. So and I think good. when we think about risk, particularly if you're coming from a professional services background, and of course, I don't have a family, you know, I don't have some of the, I don't have dependents. Mm, so yeah, I, I yeah. did only really have myself to think about immediately. But I think we need to ask what is, what's this, what's sitting behind the question of, oh, no, it's too risky. Mm, the, yeah. the idea that it's too risky and ultimately are we just afraid of trusting other people to support us yeah wow that's really yeah great so good isn't it just to be asking those questions well let's so that's a little bit about what what it was like as we started to work together I really want to get on to kind of what's happened as a result but just very briefly share what the coaching journey was for you what that was like for you I mean the coaching journey was I mean, for me, it unlocked everything. And then when I sort of talk to people and encourage people to seek the support of a coach, mm. they often say to me, oh, so is that what gave you the idea? Is that how you came up with the idea? And I always say, no, it didn't, it, mm. you know, it didn't unlock the specific idea that I've now run with and brought into the world. But that's not the point. It There's so much that needs to be unpacked and for me that was critical like I, I just don't think there's any way that I would have had the capacity or mindset or you know the internal container to bring life to this vision that I had and to sustain it without coaching so it's almost like you're you're investing in your future self even if you can't directly connect to the work that that you're doing in coaching at the time. So I, it was critical for me. And I, you know, I always say how grateful I am to you, Marianne, for your your expertise and the way that you hold space and the way that you're able to facilitate dialogue between us, but, but mm. the inner dialogue and the, the things that you need, the, you create the conditions that are needed to really interrogate mindsets to mm. to recognize where where I, I've tried to think you know think back to the, some of the work that we did and I remember feeling like these viscerally these, having these realizations that oh my goodness I can't believe I've been believing that about myself and wow. so much of that had to do I had, had to do kind of a lot of like emotional and cognitive clearing in a way yeah yeah really access what was in my heart and mind about the things that I care about in life what what are my values what do I believe about the world what's the contribution I want to make and mm. and all the work that we did together was preparation for that and actually I I don't know if I've told you this before but I regularly look back at my coaching notes I've printed them out 
and I have them saved on my computer, obviously, but I like to print them out and I have them stored in the sideboard in my lounge. And I, every now and again, I get them out and I look back at the work that we did together. And I think it's Steve Jobs. Maybe he got this from someone else, but I don't often quote Steve Jobs, but um, allow me to hear. Yeah. He, he talks <laughs> about how you, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Mm. And I think at the time, there's no way that I would have made the the link between the work that we did together in coaching and the good ancestor movement as it became and as it is today. Yeah. But looking back, I can absolutely say, I mean, it was it was a vital part of the process because I just wouldn't have been able to get there without that coaching journey. That's so cool. And I just you really did embrace it. I mean, you went for I mean, the the clients that I see really run with it, I suppose from the coaching that we do they're just I mean you were amazing you just came in both feet in I think we talked about like just trust the process yeah just took hold of that you did it you just did all the exercises you brought your whole self into it and you did see the results which is and I I love what you're you know like people think that you're going to come to a coach and they're going to give you the ideas but actually it was all inside of you and that's that's the exciting bit yeah, and that it really taught me about the discipline of creating space. It's not just going to happen to you. You're not just going to get this download. You need to create the space in your mind and physically to be able to to hear and get in tune with what what's inside you. And yeah. it's just too much noise. And so I really appreciated the rhythm of seeing you. I think it was every two weeks for six months and I would go into the boardroom and we'd have our zoom call and I'd have done my homework and quite often I went away and carved out specific time to really throw myself into the homework and I you know I was really I was like a dog with the bone I was just oh, 100%. I, had, I just I I had I just had this conviction that I was that there was something else out there for me and I yeah. I, just, I didn't have a clue what what it would end up being but I just I trusted I chose to trust the process yeah the actual idea, I mean, we'll go on to this in a minute, didn't come within those six months even, did it? No. It came after that. But it's like the wheel, it got the wheels starting to turn, I think, for you. Yeah, so. <laughs> absolutely. And and I think I think I ended up having a job interview kind of at the end of yeah. our process for something else. And it was all looking like it was going in the right direction. And then out of the blue, they pulled the plug on it. Yeah. And and actually, I mean, that was the most enormous gift. <laughs> it was, was like, it? <laughs> yeah, it really was. But even that process, you know, that's what led me to explore other things. I kept a journal and I constantly was making notes. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing, a beautiful thing about the coaching process is that you then become, you then cultivate this growth mindset. Well, you know, I felt I did. And it it just opened up this space that was really generative in my mind. So I was mm. I had all these ideas because I'd created space for it when I probably could have been doing other things. But I opened up this capacity for dreaming and thinking and, and being playful mm. and being curious, mm. which wasn't something that I was used to practicing, I guess. In a sense, I sort of developed this practice around play and curiosity. Yeah, I and love that. Yeah, it's so- amazing what can be achieved through... Yeah. Because that there's somewhat there's a almost like creativity that's accessed. And I think sometimes 
especially when we're in these quite corporate jobs, it can become very heady and we get very stuck in our minds. And I notice that a lot. I mean, I had it myself when I was in a different but similar situation where I was just trying to think my way out of it. And uh, there's something about kind of breaking that and just bringing that playfulness in to open up possibilities. Tell me what, (laughs) or tell our listeners what's happened since like what's happened as a result of you being very intentional with that time I basically started thinking about what is the world that I envision and that I dream about and that I long for and I worked as a private wealth lawyer I was involved in various kind of philanthropic communities and I noticed you know one of the things I noticed was just the motivation behind engaging in philanthropy and redistribution was really about legacy and I started to sort of challenge the idea of legacy and reach this conclusion that you know we can't just curate our own legacies like it's the future generations of the world that can determine what our our legacy is so that began to underpin thoughts I I was having around there's got to be a different way of doing private wealth and because Mm -hmm. I was the thing that would keep me up at night is how do we there's so much capital out there so much money just an enormous amount of resources but we have all these like existential challenges and they seem Mm -hmm. to be getting worse around the climate crisis and ecological degradation and inequality and I was thinking how can I use my skills and experience to really be one of the leading forces that that directs the flow of that capital into things that are going to serve the world and its inhabitants Mm. wow I started playing around with the idea the concept of a family office and how I could use that as a kind of ecosystem that would facilitate and enable wealthy individuals and families to really integrate their values across the entirety of their wealth stewardship. So mm-hmm. enable them to look at their business assets and business ownership, but also their private assets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about how they can really embody their values in how they steward their wealth and not okay. move away from this very disembodied, disjointed, kind of often paradoxical approach where people have an enormous amount of wealth that is not doing great things in the world because it's invested mm. in things like Exxon and Shell and causing a lot of harm in the world. And at the same time, they're then doing lots of brilliant philanthropy, redistributing wealth to various causes that are probably trying to fight the problems that they're fueling. Oh gosh, of course, their, yeah. So they're out of alignment. I basically began... It wasn't actually that long afterwards. At the time, it felt like eternity because I think we yeah. started in maybe like November 2018 and then mm. finished in May 2019. And then I started developing this idea probably around the, the autumn. Yeah. I think. And I just started sort of mind mapping like crazy. <laughs> and just every every couple of days, I'd just add a few more ideas. I'd do lots yeah. of research. I was talking to people. Can I ask you a question? So going back to, because for I think for anyone listening would probably think, wow, where does this woman get this confidence that she could actually change such a significant part of the world? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when you were thinking about it, it's like you're, these, these are big ideas that you've got. Like where did that, where did that confidence come from? The confidence comes from knowing that I don't have to do all of it. Like I have a a unique set of skills and experience, a unique wiring as a person in the world. And 
I want to leverage those things for transformation in the world alongside other people. Yeah, but I okay. knew that I had a specific thing to devote to what has become this movement around regenerative wealth. So it was knowing who who you were, what you have to bring to the world, and then having this desire to just do your bit. Yeah. Make it a better place, basically. Yeah, but I could yeah. only do that if I'd done all the coaching work about really knowing who I am with the skills and talents that I have and, and mm. really understanding what it is that specifically I can bring. And um, what you care about as well, because you said, you know, like the things yeah. that keep you up at night and... Okay, great. Carry on. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it took a while. So it was every few days I'd be writing stuff and I just became shameless as well. I'd be asking people for coffee for their time, just a little bit of time. Could you spare me, you know, 30 minutes just to chat to me about this? And mm. what do you think about this? And it was like going on a treasure hunt, but Love I was just so convinced that it was worth spending all the time just talking to people. And actually mm. people are so generous people want to help people love talking about the work that they do so yes 100 um, yeah so that really helped and then I just sort of landed in this place where I had such clarity towards the end of the year mm-hmm. the end of 2019 and I thought I just I have to do this wow and, it, and I made the decision kind of around then kind of internally I'd because, you know, I trained to become, it takes, it's a long journey to train to become a lawyer. Yeah. Huge. And then I was bit, had been in this firm for, at that point, what was it? Maybe 10 years in total or 10 mm-hmm. or 11 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot to walk away from, even if you know that it's the right thing to do. So there was a lot of kind of, I guess I had to come to a place of peace internally that, okay, mm-hmm. I, I'm reaching the end of the road here and, and that's okay. Where did that piece come from in the end? I think it was just recognising that just because I'm going to choose a different path doesn't mean that I'm ungrateful for all the things that my employer, my community, my work community have Mm. given me. It doesn't mean I'm rejecting it altogether. Mm. Just means that many things can be true at the same time, that it's been a on the whole, a wonderful, nourishing experience and I'm ready for something different. And I think that's a huge thing because you can you can feel kind of indebted to your employer and the friends that you've made and mm. you can begin to sort of mythologize in a way. And I had to get to that place of peace of recognizing it's not, it's okay that I want more and I want to do mm. something else and that I'm I'm grateful for everything that this experience has given me yeah. and actually I've reached almost the end of my journey here and and that's okay. And I don't really know I think that was just time. And probably you came to that place of peace and then if I remember rightly you actually started going down to part time, didn't you? So that you could start setting things up. So you did it in a very measured way. That's something which I remember a lot. Yeah, I I asked to go down to four days a week. At that stage, I hadn't, I'd, I'd approached a, a friend who I really respected to ask for his input on my idea, which I kind of set out to him. And and together we started kind of developing it and mm. he contributed enormously to to the work that we ended up doing. And, and yeah, I'm enormously grateful to him for his invaluable contribution. 
but I didn't realize I didn't think it would have legs necessarily I was just following my nose and working out yeah. you know it was just like I've got this idea I'm going to be curious about it and yeah and I wanted to create I knew I knew that I needed to create more space in my life for it and working full full time at my firm doing the work there was just no bandwidth and mm. I also had this pull towards just being able to spend time in my community like in the real world I think the city can be such a bubble I just I needed a different experience of life so that was the plan but of course we went into lockdown kind of a few weeks later <laughs> of course, so yeah. I went down to four days a week and actually what happened was I had to take a pay cut at the beginning of the pandemic we mm. we all came together to take a pay cut I think it was 25% because it was uncertain and we didn't know what was going to happen and it was camaraderie and mm -hmm. you know we were brought into doing that but in my case I had a few weeks earlier taken a pay cut of 20% so course, within yeah. a month I went down to 55% of my income which was daunting at first and unfortunate <laughs> in a sense but entirely liberating in another because I realized oh my goodness I can live on less if I need to wow yeah and of course you know we weren't spending as much during the pandemic yeah. but, but it made me it it was something that happened that opened my eyes to think well if you have to live within your means then you 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 just do so it's almost like you're very the, the one of the major fears that you had right at the outside of the journey became like almost like your launch pad Exactly. opened the opportunity yeah yeah wow so I, I I had I had an experience of what it would be like and and actually it's fine because you just make more intentional choices about the things that bring you joy and you spend money on, on mm -hmm. them after you've met your essentials and life becomes a lot simpler <laughs> oh and that's so good and I found like it becomes you become more creative as well I, I found when I was strapped you have to get creative don't you yeah absolutely yeah anyway tell our listeners now I mean I've heard some of your stories but you have now set up the good ancestor movement it's been going for what two years it will be two years in September 2023 yeah so I mean this isn't the only thing but just share some of the kind of the big wins <laughs> of oh and, and I'm talking about your life I'm not just talking about good ancestor movement there's that but there's also just in your life in general I think you've I'm probably bringing far too many things in right now but I think there's the way that you've chosen to live your life is very different to that corporate life that you had before yeah I mean my life just feels so rich now in a way that it built on the richness of what I had because I'd always found ways to just really fully embrace life and mm. thankfully you know I enjoyed there was a lot of yeah just wealth I guess in terms of like inner prosperity in my life that I felt but moving out of the corporate world and away from the law it's just opened my world up in a way that I just could never have imagined <laughs> uh, I think yeah I'm laughing because I think we both couldn't believe all the things that have happened <laughs> yeah I mean within the first six months I mean you know the the I should probably explain a little bit about what the good mm. ancestor movement does yeah, but 
essentially our mission is really to leverage the power of private capital in service of the transition to an economy which is fundamentally regenerative and distributive. Mm. And so what we envision is a world that is fundamentally more just and equitable and sustainable in which everyone can enjoy abundance and prosperity and that we can live on a planet flourishing planet and everyone can access the abundance that is here. Yeah, that's an incredible, I mean, an incredible vision. I mean, huge and incredible, but actually it's such a significant way that you're doing, you're working towards that. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very specific strategy, which is to leverage the the power of private wealth, which comes from Mm. my background, around this broader vision of an economy that works for everyone. And so we, in the private wealth industry that I came out of, the two main narratives that support, the pillars that really support that industry are the assumptions that everybody wants to preserve and accumulate more wealth than they need Mm, should mm -hmm. be doing that you know and the second assumption is that uh, everyone wants to minimize as much tax as possible the good ancestor movement fundamentally disrupts those narratives and flips them and assumes (laughs) that wealthy people have an enormous responsibility and privilege having regard to the resources that are entrusted to them and so our assumptions are that people want to share their wealth with the world and look beyond the benefit to their own families and private life Mm -hmm. towards a more expansive view of kind of this idea of private sufficiency and public luxury and so the assumption is that people will seek to minimize the benefit that is concentrated among their family so we, we support people to kind of set a financial ceiling really and to set boundaries about around the the amount of wealth that they're prepared to retain during their lifetime and identify excess wealth that's available for redistribution in a broader sense so you know it could be redistributing through grant making but what an exciting area that we're developing at the moment is a really transformative way of investing which essentially treats capital as a tool that can be used to absorb risk And therefore that can decrease a person's wealth over time because Mm. what you're doing now is moving away from seeing capital as something that has to keep growing and participating in the scarcity mindset around accumulating more than you need to actually saying my cat, I have more than I need. I have plenty Mm. and I, I want to share my wealth with those that have really been on the receiving end of some of the worst stuff in our economy, communities that have been harmed by the prevailing economic systems and structures. They've been harmed by the dominant narratives. They've been excluded from being able to access capital that they need in order to develop the initiatives and organisations that they've developed in response to the multiple social, economic and ecological crises that we're facing. And so it's all about shifting capital into the regenerative economy, one that works in balance with the planet and is fundamentally more distributive of opportunities yeah. and resources in the world. And so well, that's what we do. And yeah. we, we do a lot of movement building with wealthy individuals and families to understand this narrative around the economy and some of the things that we've been told and, and really to, to, to kind of support them with with seeing a new vision for the world and a new vision for their wealth and to liberate them from the narratives around scarcity and individualism. Tell me about some of the 
if you can share a couple of the story, maybe just one story of how this has been received, because I know that you've have there has been quite a lot of publicity from these messages, which are really, I mean, they're they're very, they are very disruptive, aren't they? What you're bringing now. Yeah, they are very, very. And, and this is another thing I would just say to anyone that's in a transition. You, you just don't know what, I, I kind of got to a place where I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is find a leader that I really respect, whose vision I really get on board with. I'm going to find them and I'm going to serve mm-hmm. their vision by mm-hmm. being a chief of staff. I was convinced that I was going to end up doing that yeah. until I realized that the leader was me. (laughs) And so I've ended up kind of, yeah, doing a lot of public speaking, being in the media, doing broadcast media around tax justice, I suppose. And I wasn't really expecting that at all. And that came about really all within less than a year of launching. And, you know, within six months, exactly six months to, to the day I was speaking, I had an international speaking gig in front of one of the wealthiest families in the UK. And that's the uh, one that you phoned me up about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a yeah. shame you can't share all the details, but uh, yeah. I mean, I was gobsmacked when you told me. I mean, it was such so early on, wasn't it? It the- was so early on. And I remember coming back on the way back from, from that speaking gig. I remember thinking, I think this is my life now. Yeah. <laughs> going to be normal that I'm going to different places and sharing this vision and sharing the work about the work that we're doing and sure enough I've been speaking in the US and mainland Europe and all around the UK and in London and I wasn't expecting that at all and it's really made me grow and I'm so grateful for that growth because it's Sometimes, sometimes it's terrifying. <laughs> you know, I find myself in the back of a cab or, you know, or on a train or something, and I'm finally like, you know, finalizing my speech. Or it's one thing after another, and bringing an organisation into the world. Typically, you're in that startup phase. You're under resourced. You, you're limited on time. You've got a growing team. It's, I mean, it's it's chaos sometimes, but it's it's <laughs> the best kind because I've just grown so much, and it is such a joy because. The work that I'm doing has attracted so many incredible people. And for that, you know, it's just, it's only expanded my world. That's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, Steph has so many stories to share and we probably don't have the time right now, but let's just, I, the last thing I'd love to just perhaps finish on is one of the other values that you have. So you have this, these very strong values for justice and equity and fairness. And I think I remember those right <laughs> But also you as an entrepreneur and as a the CEO of this, this growing business, this growing movement, you also place a high value on your own personal life and making sure that you keep that in check. Because I think sometimes people, I think that's a big challenge for us in our lives, just generally at the, you know, now with social media and the pace of life. So I'd just love to hear like, how do you, what, what is your value in relation to that and how do you manage to keep it all in in check <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting so I mean I guess again coming back to coaching it, it it enabled me to develop a vision for the kind of life that I wanted to live not just the job mm. and I found that working four days a week worked really well for me and then I began to think hang on a minute we have all this technology we live in a post-industrial society and people in professional services are still working five days a week 
for me that just feels like a scam <laughs> I love it. So I, I decided from the very beginning that it's disrupting it was, again <laughs> yeah there was gonna be a four-day week business from the from the get-go and and that's so important to me and I know that my team really appreciate it because you know it means that they get a day for themselves because yeah. we we need that time. And I, actually, often I find that that's when the magic happens, you know, on a Friday when I'm going out for a walk or doing some exercise or I just you you have space to be inspired and to let things percolate. And by by Sunday evening, I'm fully rested and I've got a ton of ideas. And it's that creativity, isn't it? I once heard someone say that rest. What did they say? Something like rest is creativity. I was like. That's so yeah. good. So yeah. true. And and I do have quite firm boundaries about my time and, and my relationship with emails and the multiple yeah. devices that I have. It's very, I mean, look, it's very intense. I work really, yeah. really long hours during the week a lot of the time, but I work on my own terms. Yes. Um, which is you you just cannot put a price on that and it's and it's something you're passionate about as well isn't it yeah so I don't it doesn't feel the same as when I had to work late or long hours when I was a lawyer because it's it's just you can't really compare it (laughs) so I relate (laughs) yeah so I also am really a strong you know really important value of mine is self-care and nourishment and taking Mm. care of me taking care of my team Mm. you know making sure that they are taking care of themselves and what are the conditions that are needed in order to do that so I do yeah I do sort of try and well I block out I I tend to follow the academic year actually I find that I still find that quite a helpful rhythm Mm. yeah time I think you have the whole of August off don't you exactly on <laughs> so which is wonderful because it's it's like having a mini sabbatical every year and it's so yeah. needed when you're elite you're carrying all this you know the weight of the, this work and what needs to be done and the strategizing not to mention you know the kind of physical wear wear and tear that's caused by the toll mm. of, of doing this work and so I, I I love being able to have you know it's an enormous privilege and I recognize that but I built it in from the start yeah. I just decided I'm not going to work in August. I'm going to set aside that time for me to deeply recharge and to come back because there's just no no point in glamorizing overworking. I'm not interested in burnout. I'm not interested in in appearing to be working all the time because one thing you have to get really good at is not really caring what other people think. Care what the important people in your life think, you know, listen to them, of course, like make sure that you have people that will speak truth into your life and that really Mm -hmm. care about you and listen to them. But for other people that people have such, so many ideas about what, how you should work as a CEO, you should be working all the time. And of course I do work very hard, but I don't, I do not. <laughs> Love your boldness. Really. So, I'm like, there's three minutes before I want to, re- like, we agreed that we'd have an hour together and I want to honor your time. But one last burning question I have, Steph, is I mean, I was working with a client just last week. We just started working together. She works in an investment bank. <laughs> this is for her. <laughs> She'll know who she is. She's just started on this this journey she knows that she's pretty sure she wants to make a move but suddenly she's feeling even more disengaged with work and I think she's in that place of like yikes what have I done what have I done starting to open the box of what I really really want for her or anyone else that's kind of getting that inkling that maybe the life they're living right now 
the corporate career, whatever it is, isn't quite right. What advice would you give to them? Say yes. (laughs) Say (laughs) yes to you. Show up for you because it's, you're not like you haven't found your way into coaching by mistake. There's, there's something more that you want. So say yes to it. And yes, it will be hard and it will be uncomfortable and uncertain. And, you know, everyone's journey is different. I don't know how it's going to pan out for you, but what I know for sure is like when you find your way into your truth and the things that matter to you and the things you're passionate about, you will find yourself living a life beyond all your expectations and it will be so rich and so colorful and so rewarding that you will just look back and be so grateful to your earlier your your earlier self and um, for putting in the work now you you will reap the re- the reward and and it will just be incredible <gasps> Steph Robbie <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and just sharing your incredible experience, your wisdom as well, and for just allowing people into your story so that they can see what could be possible for them. So wonderful to have you. Well, thank you so much. And you, I always tell you, you've been such an important part and continue to be an important part in this journey because you were more than a coach. You were my strategic partner, my accountability buddy and just such an incredible guide through a process that has given me an incredible life so thank you so much for everything thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the show if you found it valuable please like comment and subscribe for more and for more tips find me on linkedin search marianne welsh or visit my website mariannewelshcoaching.com where you'll find more blogs And you can also book a chat with me. See you next time.